Hey, good morning. Welcome. My name is Dwight Bernier. I am one of the pastors of Church 21. So glad to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. But before we do that, let me go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are a good God. You always do what is good, right, true, and perfect. And we're learning how to submit to that. I want to pray for for people who are joining us who don't yet know you, who are, are struggling to understand who you are, who will struggle and wrestle through subjects like sin, wrath, even God. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand what you want for us to to hear, receive, and accept this morning. And we're eager, I'm eager to get to hear from you. We love you and we need you for everything. Amen. So part of my story is that I, I immigrated to Canada. I was born in the United States. My great-grandparents came from Quebec, and I moved back with my wife and, at the time, uh, one son, Nehemiah. So we immigrated, and we came to Canada, and we've loved it. It's been really amazing. Uh, Very hard, because we've been planting churches, but uh, it's been absolutely incredible. But I want to take that narrative of immigration, and I want for us to imagine for a second that you immigrate into a new land like we did, You arrive and it is beautiful, luscious, incredible, everything that you imagine it would be and more. And yet as you arrive, immediately you cross over the border, you're you're ushered into your new place, and immediately you are drafted into a war. And the war isn't something that's happening far away. You don't have to get on a plane and leave. The war is actually happening in the new land that you arrived in. I mean, that would be quite shocking, striking. Like you just become a citizen or a permanent resident or a visitor and you're immediately drafted in to a war. And yet this is what's happening when we get inside of Romans 8, 12, and 13. And we find out that we've immigrated into a new land that we've been brought into this land of no condemnation for those who are in Christ To be in Christ means that we submit to him as our Lord. We get him as our savior. He rescues us, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we get him as our Lord, as our prime minister, as our president, as our chief of everything. He is it, and we submit to him, and he gives us this banner over our life that says no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely glorious. And then we're invited to live under his lordship by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to online gatherings, whatever, some of these might be very strange. What's the Holy Spirit? How do we do all this? Just track with me. I think you'll understand as we're going along. And and by the way, I'm just wearing a tie because I realized I hadn't worn a tie at all during COVID. I don't really like ties, but for whatever reason, I decided today was a day to wear a tie. So there you go. But no condemnation, new land. We're going to live by the power of the Spirit, Romans 8, 5 to 11. And this means war. If we're going to live by the power of the Spirit, it means that we are going to war. And we're warring together. We're warring together. Let me read for you Romans 8, 12, and 13. Now, I actually have a, a real Bible here, uh, a real Bible, all right? So Romans 8, 12, and 13. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... 
you will live. So we're invited into this war together with brothers and sisters. Sometimes, and maybe this is your experience of being inside of the church, and you find that the church wars against one another over colors of carpet or chairs or place or some other silly thing that we end up warring against one another on. But we were meant to war with one another, alongside one another, because it's a different battle that we're actually in. We're made for unity. We're supposed to be in the ranks together, holding. Do you remember that, that scene in Braveheart, one of my favorite movies? This scene where, where the enemy is coming and Braveheart is saying, hold, hold, all together. We don't want one to just go running out and ruin the whole battle. We're all going to hold right here until the right time to move forward, that we were made for unity in this fight. You see, once, once we were forced to fight for the other team. Before Jesus, before we submitted our life to him, we were forced to fight for the flesh. Now the flesh, this word that Paul uses all throughout Romans 8, means natural moral potential. And and another word for that is just evil. Like sometimes you do good things, but even those good things that you do are are run through with with bad intentions or, or self-glorification or self-gain. So you can even do a good thing that's real for someone else that's really just for you. And so Paul is saying the flesh is that natural moral potential that we have, which the Bible determines as evil because it's anti-God. Now, you might not have known that you were fighting on team flesh. You might have not have had no idea at all. In fact, it's often like, um, you ever bought clothes from a certain store, and then you find out later on that those clothes were made by slaves in some third world country or made by children, or maybe the battery in your phone you find out is, is made by, by these, you know, found and mined by kids that are living in horrific conditions, right? You're not intentionally trying to make children do this, but yet it's, it's a byproduct. As, as we buy these things, we realize, oh man, I'm supporting this cause. It's not that amazing. I didn't even realize it. And that's what it's kind of like when we, when we awaken to the understanding that there's something beyond this fight in the flesh. There's something more than just this fight in the flesh. But that's who we were. We were anti-God. We were fighting against him. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we are hostile to him. And not just some of the time, but all the time. All the time hostile against him in our in our intentions in our motives in our action in our inaction in our desires this is how we are wired god didn't wire us this way initially but we decided that we wanted to be our own gods as humanity we were going to carve and and make a path forward without god we were going to live to make a name for ourselves and in pursuit of that we had become evil but here's the good news of this all That Jesus actually took our hostility against God and sin against God and rebellion against God upon himself. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross very intentionally. He went to the cross so that he could die in our place. This is the good news of the cross. Someone dying a horrific, excruciating death. In fact, that's where we get the word excruciating is from crucifixion. Someone dying an excruciating death is never good news unless it produces something better than their death. 
So Jesus' death produced for us freedom, produced for us acceptance by God. This is why Jesus came to die. Jesus told his disciples, I'm, I'm coming intentionally to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross for you and for me, for hostile, ungodly enemies. Jesus laid down his life. He laid his life down as a sin offering. The good news that's connected to that isn't that he's still laying in a grave as a sin offering, but that he has risen from the dead and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's with you, with me, right now. I know a camera divides us, but Jesus is with you and Jesus is with me. The resurrection is good news and this is what differentiates Christianity. Not the institution of Christianity, but the essence of Christianity, which is all about Christ and his death, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That we bank everything on the resurrection of Jesus. And so because Jesus gets up out of the grave, offers us new life, anyone, I mean, Jesus hung out with the worst, absolute worst, like scum of the world. Those were Jesus's people. He loved them, just like you and me. He loved people just like you and me. And he came to rescue us. And he came to bring us into a whole new life in Christ. And now we're called to live in the spirit. And so here's the reality, is that we are no longer obligated. We're no longer obligated to the flesh. We're no longer obligated to the anti-God aspects of what our life was before You don't have to obey your flesh anymore. Do you hear that? Do you get that? Galatians 5. Paul, who wrote Romans, also wrote this letter to Galatians. He identifies some things of the flesh. In sexual immorality, living a sexual life outside of the realm that God has made us for. He said that's the flesh. God made us for a specific purpose to live sexually in a specific way. And when we go outside of that, that's called sexual immorality. And Paul says, that's the flesh. You don't have to obey sexual immorality anymore. You can say no. Galatians 5 identifies sorcery. Sorcery. Playing with demons. Playing with Satan. Playing with satanic things. You can say no to evil spirits now drunkenness you no longer have to be obligated to addictions you can say no idolatry you don't have to worship other gods and create other gods anymore you are free you're not obligated to these things but these are kind of like big things that honestly a lot of christians figure out but what are some more subtle ways that the flesh shows up What are ways that the flesh still wants to be dominant and in control? Well, here are some phrases that maybe have gone through your mind or you've spoken before. Well, if they don't choose my idea, then I'm leaving. If they don't choose the path that I want to go, then I'm not going to be a part of them anymore. You see, the flesh wants to make everything that you're a part of all about you. You're not obligated to say those types of things anymore. If I don't get what I want, then there's no way that I can be happy. You see, that's the flesh. In the spirit, we have everything that we need in Christ. But the flesh says, well, if you don't get that thing and that thing and that thing, then you can't be happy. 
You see, the flesh keeps making demands. The flesh keeps telling us, I'm in charge. The flesh keeps trying to show how dominant it is, but it's been fired. It's dead. It's been released. Paul says, I've been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That old life, the life of the flesh, it's dead. I'm moving forward. I don't need to submit to the flesh any longer. You see, the Spirit of God has superseded your natural moral potential. Do you get that? The Spirit comes into your life, dwells in you. He's not going anywhere, and he supersedes the evil, and he's slowly removing that from our being altogether. And so in you right now, if you are in Christ, the supernatural spirit of God is moving, living, active here and now. But here's the thing about the flesh. Even though the flesh has been condemned, even though the flesh has been condemned, the flesh still wants you and me to die. It wants to take us down with it. It doesn't want for us to survive and thrive and live lives in the spirit. But here's what Paul says. If you live according to flesh, you are going to die. You are going to die. Listen to what Ray Ortland says in his commentary on Romans 8. If we go by merely human standards to guide us and merely human resources to help us, we will die. Ambition, comfort, ego, self. See, a fleshly agenda for life. It is dead and it is deadening. It is dead and it is deadening. You know what? Jesus didn't get up out of the grave to rescue us and give us a spirit so that we can now turn and go to chapters or indigo to the self-help section. And that's how we're going to live our life, just on good advice. No. No, in a sense, it's turning back to the flesh. Not that we can't receive good advice. But if that's what we're building our lives off of, this is why it's so important to preach through the Bible and not just have these topical sermons that are going off of whatever we want because we can actually turn the Bible to say whatever we want. Now, we can't really do that, but we do it. We do it. We can even turn the Bible into good advice when we rip things out of context and say it the way that we want for it to be said. You see, we weren't brought out of spiritual slavery so that we could be moralistic deists. We could be good little boys and girls that believe that there's some sort of God out there and we're gonna do things. I mean, we believe so often by the way we act that we've been rescued to be able to obey the rules. That the rules are the end in and of themselves. And that's just not the case. We were brought out of slavery. We were brought out of death to be able to live an abundant life, led, empowered by the Spirit of God who wants to fix our eyes on King Jesus. The Spirit wants to help us do that. You know, he wants to get at our hearts and transform us to be just like Jesus. Let me take you through another letter quickly that that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. It's in the New Testament, Philippians. And I want to hit three different sections real quick showing you the transformation and the commitment that the Spirit of God has made to us. And the first is going to come from Philippians 1, 
Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until the Lord returns and resurrects us, until the Lord returns and, and brings us to be with him. Paul says, I'm sure that he who started a good work in you, God will carry it on to completion. How's he going to carry that to completion? Well, it's going to be through the work of the Spirit. Let me take you to Philippians two twelve and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It seems like we have to be the ones that are working out our salvation, our rescue, all that, like follow the rules. But that's not what he's saying. He says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So work out your salvation. Oh, but just before you start to do that, just know that the Holy Spirit is in you, living, dwelling, and he is going to transform you to be just like Jesus. And, and we end in Philippians, well, these verses anyway, with Philippians 3, 20 and 21, the outcome. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power, that power is the spirit, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So this is the work of the spirit that he is going to make us to be just like Jesus. And do you know how he does that? He takes us into war. The spirit says, I'm gonna make you like Jesus and so we're gonna go to war against the flesh. Let me go back to Romans 8, 13. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? What, was, what would be your power? If you got to be a superhero, what would be your power? I took that sip just so you could speak to the television and realize I didn't hear you. But what would be your power? The spirit is giving us this this wild power here. And it's the power to be able to slay sin. This power to be able to mortify. That's an old word, mortification. To put to death sin, to put to death deeds of the flesh. Maybe you saw that first slide up there, the astronaut. Um, Romans 8 is all about us living an undeservingly enabled life. We shouldn't be able to live in space, but we're trying, right? Uh, we're trying to figure out this whole space thing. Uh, but you can't go up to space on your own without bringing earth or elements of earth with you, or you'll die. You're not made to, to live out there. Same way, we can't go and live in the spiritual realm uh, in the flesh. We'll die. We'll absolutely die. But through the spirit, we, we can live. And And with the spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh that wants to choke us out. And so the spirit equips us for this. Ephesians 6, we won't look at this. But Ephesians 6, a book in the New Testament, another letter from Paul to the church of Ephesus. He talks about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. There's a helmet, there's a shield, there's a breastplate, there's there's shoes, there's a sword, there's, there's all these things to prepare us for the war that we're actually in. But we don't think about being at war. I mean, you're probably sitting on the couch or a very comfy chair. Maybe you're eating nachos. I don't know why you're eating nachos during the service, but that's fine. I mean, you can do whatever you want at this point within, within reason. 
But we don't think that we are at war. We just don't. We somehow resort to thinking that Christianity is an opportunity to just settle down. I got my get out of hell free card. Got my insurance. I got my forgiveness. I'm good to go. I do my prayers once in a while. I, I, I go to church once in a while. I realize that we don't go to church. We are the church, so that's even better. And I'm just going to chill. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to explore. I'm going to play around. I'm going to dialogue. But I'm going to be comfortable. And we settle down with sin, too. Yeah, yeah, we, we want to take care of the big sins that people are going to notice. We don't want to be, we don't want to be called the sinner. We think we have a choice with sin. We oftentimes coddle our sin and we coddle others. I've been inside of groups before where someone is like, man, I'm, I'm really struggling with, with this specific sin. Someone else says, I struggle with that too, man. It's really hard. Is that it? Is that like, you just like gave each other permission to keep doing that. Why aren't you saying I'm struggling too and this is how I'm fighting and let's fight this together, right? Brothers and sisters, we're in this war together. The flesh wants to kill you. We're not even talking about the enemy this morning. We're talking just about the flesh, the old us, the anti-God us that is dying and dead but wants to keep pulling us down and choking us out and we give one another permission to keep sinning and living rebellious lives against god when is that gonna stop when are we gonna get serious about this we forget the intensity of jesus with sin now number one sin cost jesus his life i remember saying to my my daughter sadie who's seven now I said one time she had she had done something and it wasn't all that big, you know, in, in my eyes anyway. And it wasn't big in her eyes, and she was gonna continue to do that thing, and I just said, You know what? If the only thing wrong that was done in all the world was that, Jesus would have to die. That broke her. She had no idea that that thing would cost Jesus his life. We forget that. Cheap grace. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you. I know I'm forgiven. Boom, we keep going. Cheap grace. Now, forgiveness is free. You don't have to do anything for it. But it was costly. It's costly. But we forget the intensity of Jesus and the way he spoke about sin as well. Listen to Matthew 5, 29 to 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. I mean, what type of teaching is this? This is God. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that he has always existed and he became man, being fully God, fully man, comes to earth, lives life, and this is the type of stuff that he's propagating. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus' big idea of this teaching is this. Cut it off. Just cut it off. You might be saying, yeah, yeah, but he didn't really mean that. Some people have literally done some of those things. Jesus wasn't saying literally to do that. 
But it's with the literal intensity of that. That you, your devotion to the, the kingdom of God has to be so that you're willing to lose anything. Anything that's going to get in the way of your pursuit of Jesus. You might say it sounds too extreme. The only reason that we'd say that is because we lose sight of the big picture of things. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie 127 Hours. Uh, April 2003, let me, let me sum it up. April 2003, Aaron Ralston is hiking in a park in Utah. Uh, breaks away from a group that, that he was with and doesn't tell anyone where he's going. <clears throat> and he ends up slipping and his hand and his arm gets stuck behind a boulder. And for several days, he tries to pull his hand out, but just isn't budging. So he has two choices, really. Uh, let his hand kill him, meaning that this is stuck, so therefore I'm going to die. And the other option is the more extreme one, that he could amputate his own arm. And what did he do? Well, on day six, I'm ruining the movie, I know, but I mean, you just read the summary, you're going to figure out what's going to happen. Day six, he, he amputates his own arm. And he lives. He cut off his flesh. He cut off a part of him. That was important to him. But to live was more important than dying fully intact, alone. You see, our flesh keeps putting us in these situations. Our flesh keeps telling us, your hand is stuck. Your hand is stuck and you need your hand. So you're going to just have to resort to living with your hand stuck the rest of your life. You won't really be able to live that spiritual life that you want to live because your hand is stuck and there's nothing that you can do. And I hear Christians say things like, well, I just can't help it. Like, this is just who I am. I'm wired this way. I have addictive, an addictive personality. It's like everyone has an addictive personality. We're addicted to what we love most and what brings us the most amount of pleasure. Her Christians say things like, well, I have to lie to keep my job. I can't go to sleep without watching porn and doing the things that follow. I, I need their approval. If I don't have their approval, I don't really know who I am. I mean, this is all from the flesh. But the Spirit is living in us, ready to make a tourniquet around our hand and to help us say, this is going to hurt. Breaking the hand and amputating it. Right? This is the work that the Spirit wants to do. He wants us to help us see real life, not to become slaves to a stuck hand behind a boulder. The Spirit wants to help us kill sin and kill the flesh so that we enjoy life in the Spirit. Because you can't have both death and life. You can't be stuck behind this boulder and really live. You're going to die. But what the flesh does is it makes death. It tries to make death look like life. But what the Spirit does is it gives us this nice gentle... I'm, I'm always careful when I say, like, God hits us or God slaps us because that's not what he does. But the spirit like awakens us gently. He awakens our senses to see the flesh for what it is. That it's like perfume on a dead body. That it's all makeup. Do you get that? That our flesh wants to kill us and the spirit wants for us to see that there's something so much more. 
The flesh wants to choke us out and end us. The flesh wants to keep us from Jesus as Lord, but the Spirit wants to keep revealing surpassing value and beauty of who Jesus is, and the Spirit wants to reform us, like we saw earlier in Philippians, to look just like Him. He wants to make us to the world, and everyone sees Christ in me. Christ in me. This is the work of the Spirit. So now how do we apply this? How do we kill sin? I have like seven things. This is really important. Hone in on this. I'm going to use one illustration throughout the whole thing. Okay? So imagine that, that you are, are living in this place, in the Spirit. This is a, your new city, in the Spirit. And there's this little enemy town right next door to it, in the flesh. Right? So you're set up in the spirit, but in the flesh is right there. It's not far. You can smell it. It stinks. But inside the spirit, it's beautiful and wonderful. So how do we kill, how do we kill sin? How do we not let the flesh into the city? How do we keep the flesh out? Well, number one, we need to understand the fight that we are in. You see, the flesh and sin are often subtle. They're not coming out like, let's go have orgies. Ah! Not doing that. The flesh is very subtle. Little things, little actions, little inactions, little desires. And when I mean desires, desires aren't necessarily sinful, but desires that are accompanied by meditation and lustful thoughts, they often lead to action. Those desires, those desires are wrong that we're, we're in this fight for our mind and our heart and our actions. And it's not just a fight to kill sin, but to replace it with life. We're in a fight to replace our sin and flesh with life. My neighbor downstairs, she has a, what we'd call a green thumb. Right? She plants things really well. I mean, we kill things, and she plants things beautifully. So uh, we made an agreement that she was going to plant some bushes. I don't even know what they are. Bushes with flowers. They're, they're beautiful. They're nice. And so I helped her dig because I can do that. I can dig holes, and she planted them, and they were wonderful. But she pointed out something, that there were vines on our other neighbor's yard, and these vines were creeping over, and these vines were already around some of the bushes that she had planted earlier on. And she pointed out to me, whenever you come out here, and, and I'm the one that mows the grass, she says, make sure that you, you unattach these vines from the living things that we're planting because these vines only are here to kill. They're only here to choke out the life of these bushes that, that we have planted. So it's this active work that I have to be about when I go down to cut the grass. I'm like untangling these vines again. They move so fast. You rip them out and all of a sudden they're around the bush again. They grow like crazy. But with no action, these bushes die. They get choked out and these, these vines win. But what we get to go and do is we get to kill these vines so that life can keep going. And this is that picture. This is that picture that we're to kill the flesh put to death the deeds of the flesh so that we can live according to the Spirit. It's not just putting to death those things to, to check off. It's so that we can have real life. It's removing the enemy so that we can flourish in the land. The flesh wants you dead. 
Do you understand that? The flesh wants you dead, but the spirit wants life. I tell people, when you're about to sin, especially guys who are struggling with pornography, I said, have you ever ever invited the Holy Spirit into your pornography use? No, I would never do that. Why? He's with you. He's living in you. Your, Your body is a temple that's supposed to be working out the things of the Lord. Why don't you, next time you go to to watch pornography, why don't you invite the spirit to go with you? Spirit, I know you're here. This is what I'm going to go do. And and I want you to come with me. It's amazing the amount of guys that are like, "I, I couldn't do it. Why? Because the spirit was there. And I, I realized the spirit was there. And that the spirit has something new for me. Something of life. Because I'm like, well, how do you feel after you watch pornography and do all the things connected? Like horrible, shameful, guilty, ugh, gross. How do you feel when you overcome it by the power of the spirit? I feel amazing. I feel like God is really empowering me to be able to say no to things that I used to be a slave to. Spirit is winning. Invite him in. Understand this fight and that the spirit is with you. The second thing is to know that the enemy lives close. Remember this little city of the spirit and and town of the flesh are right there and the enemy lives close. Do you know? Do you know what your flesh wants? Because your flesh is different than mine. I have different desires than, than you have. I mean, we have common ones, but how do they get worked out? How do you work yours out? When and where are you most tempted? Is there a time of day? Is there a season of life? Is it when you travel? Is it when you're away from people? Is it when you're alone? Is there a place? When does your flesh want to flare up? When does your flesh want to call you into the town? Right? When is your flesh advertising and marketing to you that we have a sale and it's going to feel really good. It's going to be amazing. Just come real quick and then you can leave. You just need to stay for this one thing. It'll be, be fast and, and quick. Don't let your guard down. Keep building your walls in the city of the spirit higher and higher because the enemy of the flesh is right there. And it's not going anywhere in this life. You think that you destroy it. You think that it's gone and yet it's rebuilt so quickly. Third thing is that you need to set up a watchman and a sniper. I know I'm using military analogy. I'm not like a massive uh, gun guy by, by any means, but I think it's helpful when we understand the intensity of what we need to do with sin. A watchman was someone who monitored a city. We have like, you know, satellites now for that. But in a city in the, the ancient times, there would be a watchman overseeing the city and they would be looking to see if an enemy is coming close someone who's monitoring those who are approaching the city. They were watchful and sober-minded all the time. I mean, this is what they were about. This was their whole job. And so as a watchman, you also need a sniper next to you. You need to be ready for war. You need to be expecting that an enemy is coming. And that sniper is the spirit. The sniper gives you a license to carry The sniper gives you the opportunity to pick off, I know it's not a sniper rifle, I just can't imitate that. But the sniper gives you the ability to pick off sins when they're really far away. Lust, I mean, I know I've used the illustration of pornography so much, but so many guys struggle and it's like late at night 
It's like if that's where you struggle, then, then unplug your Wi-Fi. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Turn off the internet. Go to bed early. Sleep a normal amount of time, right? Pick them off before they have an opportunity to actually even be seen by the naked eye. That's what snipers allow for you to do. If you go on social media and you just envy people, oh, I wish I had a house like that. I wish I had kids like that. I wish I had a spouse like that. I wish I had a, had a place like that. I wish I had a church like that. If envy is what comes out, well, then, then pick that off. Maybe you're too immature for social media at certain times or to follow or see certain people's pages because it just draws things out. And it's not their fault. It's going on in your heart. So shoot them. Shoot them and move on. This means you need to act. When you see those things from afar, don't be like, I'm just going to chill and wait and see if they get closer. Kill them now. You see, maturity expects the flesh to arrive and is ready to shoot. Maturity expects the enemy, the flesh, to arrive and is ready to shoot. The fourth thing is that we sound the trumpets. Now, not for music, not to play this wonderful little interlude. It's not for music at all, but a trumpet was an alarm. It was an alarm for others to come. Now, remember, we have brothers and sisters that we are in this fight together with. They're given to us to help us to fight and kill sin. We don't call one another for mere advice, but you're going to need to call other people to help you fight sin. Following Jesus is not an individualistic endeavor. It's not just about you and Jesus. You're rescued into a people, into a church. We are called to bear one another's burdens. And sometimes that means that, that we are so deep into sin and giving into our flesh that we need to come in, have other people come in, throw us on their shoulders and bring us out of that town of flesh. But that's why we have brothers and sisters, that the Spirit reminds us, call for help. You are not meant to do this on your own. Do you have people that you can do this with? Do you have someone that can be in this type of fight club with you? Not to fight one another, but to fight the flesh and to fight sin with so that we can live according to the Spirit. Do you have people that will call or can call you, or you can call, that will bring you good news and rebuke. You need people in your life that will rebuke you. We're coddled. We, we're, we're offended. And yet we need to be offended. We need to be offended with certain things. Fifth, we're in hand-to-hand combat. Sometimes a sniper doesn't work, they don't see. Sometimes you've sounded the trumpet, you you fought together, but somehow there's like some zombie that that made it through. Ever seen The Walking Dead? I I don't highly recommend the show, but but I liked it for a little while. And then it just became repetitive over and over and over and I stopped watching. But it's like they thought they killed all the zombies and yet one was like crawling in and ended up bidding grandpa so-and-so and and like he became his own, like it it was bad. But this is the reality that we're in hand-to-hand combat. And there are moments where you are just going to be by yourself with the Spirit. Think of 3 a.m. when you wake up and there's some thought that you can't scrub. And you're fearful or you're, or you're longing to be comforted in this way. Or you're envious or you're, you're obsessed with this certain thing. And you just can't shake it. 
This is time for you to go to battle. This is MMA. This is octagon type of stuff where you put on your little gloves. Those gloves really hurt when you get punched with them anyway. It doesn't really soften a lot. It just doesn't break your knuckles. But it's time for you to put on these gloves and to fight and to go hand-to-hand combat. The spirit is in you. He's not leaving you. He's going to be not only in your corner, but giving you the ability and energy and power to be able to cause for the flesh to be tapped out. Resist your flesh. Resist your flesh. Keep fighting. Don't give up. There's no condemnation for you. You have victory in Christ. So fight out of that. Fight out of that. The last thing is don't give up. Don't give up. Fight the good fight until the end. You are going to fall, but get back up. You're going to fail. We'll begin again. The Spirit is with you. Do not tap out. You think, you think that you're in such, the move is called a rear naked choke in MMA. You think that you're being choked out and you're not going to be able to breathe and so you're going to tap. Don't tap. Don't tap because you are not actually going to get choked out. The Spirit is not going to allow that. Be asking Him, help me overcome now. Don't give up. This is an everyday battle. Don't delude yourself into sitting back and coasting into destruction. So many Christians sit back and coast into their own destruction. They're on tracks to be leaders. Oh, I'm just going to sit back and take a rest. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to engage in community. I'm, I'm going to take a break from all religious activity. Oh, there are things I want to say right now that I can't say. Bad move. Do not do that. Fight that. That is not from the spirit of God. That is from the flesh. And it's going to lead you to destruction, not to life. Look at what John Owen said. He said, do you mortify? Let me go back to that. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You are undeservingly enabled. You should not be able to slay sin and put it to death. You should not be able to defeat the flesh but the Spirit of God is living in you. The Spirit of God is helping you overcome. And one day, one day, the end of sin is coming. One day, Christ's victory will be fully realized. One day, Jesus is going to come. And Isaiah 25 talks about this. And one day, he's going to take the cup of death, Nestle's pure life. This is not pure life. Um, There's actually probably lots of plastic in this water. But one day God is going to lift up that cup of death and he is going to drink it down, slam it down, and from then on death will be no more. There'll be no more flesh, no more sin, no more wrestling against anti-God tendencies. But until then, until that day where Christ comes back, we are armed to fight, to enjoy life with Christ. So how do we respond to this? Number one, if you don't yet know Jesus, you can say yes to him this morning. He overcame sin for you. He overcame death for you. He bore the penalty of sin on the cross for you. 
and he's alive for you. And you can say, Jesus, I want you. I need to be forgiven. And you'd be brought into the family of God. And that's good news. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I have these two questions. And I'd encourage you to discuss these after. The first is, what needs to die? What have I been saying yes to? What have I been visiting the town of the flesh in? What advertising and social media is coming out of the town of the flesh and we're, we're following it right back in to death? What needs to die? And then the second question is, how does the spirit want you to mortify, to kill, to put to death that sin? Let me encourage you with this. The Spirit of God is alive in you if you are a follower of Jesus. There is nothing that God is going to give to you that he has not already equipped you with through the Spirit. Our city needs to hear this good news. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop putting to death this sin that wants to destroy your life. But look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, help us to respond to this. Help us not to just be information that goes in, but help this to be uh, information that moves, that you, Spirit, would help us to fight the deeds of the flesh. We need you to be able to do this. Help us to be aware of what's going on. Help us to, to be able to smell, to sniff out that town of the flesh that wants to draw us away from living in the spirit. So we love you and we need you for everything. Amen.